Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 92 of the Tondal Tinder podcast. And finally, finally, after a good few weeks, we're finally back with new guests. But before we introduce new faces, of course, we got to talk about the old and returning faces, starting with Faison, who's back after a long hiatus. Hey, everyone. What's up? We have Jay. Hey, hey, hey. Good to be back. And Faniki, of course. What's up, guys? And we have two new faces who also happen to be really good friends of Faison, Jay, and Faniki, hence why they're also on this episode. First up, we have Josette. Hey. And we have Levy. So, Okay, so you're probably all run- wondering why the big cast, right? So a couple of weeks ago, well, actually a couple of months ago, because this has been a long time in the making, Faison hit me up and told me he wanted to do an episode talking about all the crazy college stories that he and his friends have to share. And I guess that's what we're going to start with. So uh, Josette, Levy, you have the floor. Tell us a bit about yourselves, like specifically where you're studying, what you're studying, or maybe anything interesting that you have coming up in like the near future, if you will. I can go first. So my name's Levy. Now like an incoming second year in the University of San Francisco, studying computer engineering. And I don't really have anything like coming up, but like, when I make my come up, that's like when I'll start like plugging stuff, but nothing much right now. I think the come up is itself something that's coming up. So we'll see. <laughs> we will see. Um, yeah. So I'm Josette and I'm actually studying back at home. I'm majoring in medicine. And so far, I think the biggest thing I've learned is never to trust your future doctors because most of us don't know what you're doing. That's a great vote of confidence for the future, isn't it? Stay healthy, work out and eat good because this is your class of 2028, guys. Literally, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. So just to clarify, Jacette, where exactly is back home for you? Kenya. Right. Some of the viewers may not know that we're from Kenya. You're at the University of Nairobi, right? Yeah, you're and. Let me get this straight, right? Just said you are going to school in Kenya, correct? Yeah. Faniki is going to school in the UK, I believe. Yep. Jay is going to school in Canada, and Levi, Faison, and myself are going to school in the US. Yep. Like that is dead as three whole continents. And yet here we all are on one call. The wonders of the internet. Here we are on one call, getting all our data harvested to sell ads. Amazing, isn't it? Exactly. Wait, is Zoom owned by Facebook or something? Well, don't give meta ideas for Nikki. <laughs> don't give them ideas. Yeah, I mean, you just got to assume. You just got to assume that this data harvesting going on at some stage for any tech company valued over a billion. Computer science, dude. Wait, that's what you're studying, right? That was a great segue. But yeah, I'm studying computer science. I have science. a question. Levi is doing computer engineering and Jay's computer science. Rich runs also computer science. What's the difference between computer science and computer engineering? Levy, do you want to take this one? Yeah, I can take this one. So I can like, if I keep it short, I think computer engineers are slightly better. I'm not being biased. I'm just saying <laughs> what I got to say. In what sense? <laughs> okay. Are <laughs> you a <laughs> So it's a very similar course. I'd say like we do both software as in t- terms of like coding and other stuff, but what I would like say that's slightly different that computer engineering is a more of a branch of electrical engineering. So there's some more hardware aspects to computer engineering compared to computer science. 
I mean, we're both, we're all competing to make buttons on Google's websites. So does it really matter at the end of the day? No, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, we're just trying to harvest people's information to get more money. So, you know. I mean, data is what makes the world go around. I thought that was money. Well, data equals money. I, th- I think you can assume. That's true. Yeah. The data is money. You are the product. You are the money. Your every click, every interaction, every video you scroll past is money that's coming in as they get better and better at identifying your interests and marketing to you so that one day you click on a link off Facebook and they get a lot of the money off that marketplace. So you are the product. You are the money. If only we were as benevolent as doctors. I'm getting good at this segue thing. Pretty much. And, sure. and just that, actually, I have to ask, right, since we're on the subject of medicine, what exactly made you pick medicine? Was it something that your parents wanted you to do? Was it something you always aspired to be as a kid? Or was it just like, did you just look at the field and think, oh, maybe being a doctor would be cool and I could do it? Oh, there's another answer, D. None of the above. I have no clue what made me do it. Literally, I think maybe academic validation. Validation is a strong word, but go on. I don't know. I've just always been used to my grades having a very big impact. So I just decided to see if medicine had a kick. and It really does. I think all of the students um, in my cohort literally joined medicine for the academic validation. But on a more personal note, it was because... I was technically sick almost all the time as a kid. So the hospital was like my second home. So I was like, it would be so cool to just come back and be in the position of a doctor rather than a sick patient. I mean, I will say that is a very commendable, this is a very commendable perspective you have, like wanting to give back. But I must ask, because even though like there's obviously like different reasons as to why people go into the field, but I believe you're probably done with your first year. Of med school, am I right? Yeah, going into second. So I need to ask, how has the workload been? Has it been stressful? Have you been managing your time? Do you already have a love-hate relationship with your field? Yeah, it, it really is. So like very many breakdowns and the workload is intense. As in, I only have like four different units to study for, but the content is so much and it's like so broad. And literally missing a day, a day's worth of content to like get that back. You have to like study for a week. And it's so just, it's so tasking. So at this point, sometimes it's like, why am I even doing this? Why am I doing medicine? So it's already kind of like a push and a pull. I just have always wanted to know. So you know how in Kenya, when we are like kids, right? We're conditioned to think, Oh, you have to leave the country to study, to make it big, you know, and Kenyan universities are just no good. It's what like my old school told me and it's what many people I also know have been told themselves. Like everybody wants to go to the US or Canada or just literally any other country outside. So just said, I wanted to ask you, are Kenyan universities that bad as people make them out to be? Or are they actually really not bad? Like, is it just people being biased towards a local education versus leaving the country? Well, I really would say it very much depends on what you're doing. 
Okay, for my university, I'd say the Faculty of Health Sciences is just generally very like, it's organized more than any other faculty because obviously it's health sciences and they're very strict and they take things very seriously, but you will have some mayhem going on in other departments. Like you'll hear of strikes of like kids, like not going to school and stuff like that. But I think with medical students, just health science students in general, everyone's very much focused on the content that they need to be covering to even start thinking about other stuff. So it really depends on what you're doing and it very much depends on which university you're going to. But I'd say so far on my end, it's been very like chill. I mean, sometimes the facilities are like outdated and stuff like that. Like our cadavers in the labs are literally dry so you can't see anything. But it's not bad. It's not as bad as people would make it out to be. I think it's just like a myth. Okay, so on a related note, maybe not so related, like you talked about choosing medicine, right? And you said that it was for the academic validation, which is a fair point. But many people probably don't know that you're also like really good at sports. Like you've represented the national team, I think. You have like also achieved a lot in the field of triathlon, etc. And you do both of these on the side, right? Medicine, as well as like your sporting work and representing the national team. So why do you decide to like do both of them and not just like devote all your time and energy to sports and just become like an Olympic athlete or something? How do you manage both those things? Um, well, first of all, managing it is very hard, honestly, like with the workload in school. And then, you know, I've literally reached a stage, not only like, well, for everyone, we're not only transitioning into like adulthood, we're also like trying to figure out who we are. But then at the same time in my sports, I'm also transitioning from being a junior to an elite and things get much more serious and the distance that I, I, I do increases. So um, it's been very, very stressful, but I'd say like sports is also a way for me to kind of like escape from other stuff, like school stuff. When I'm doing sports, I literally don't have to think about what am I going back home to do? It's just like a way to distract me from whatever's going on in my life. And I'd say it's just something that, you know, I really love doing. So I was like, well, if I really love doing it and I also really, really want to do medicine, there should be a way to balance it out. And obviously there are very many other athletes out there who have done medicine, have competed on an elite level. And there are some of the people I look up to. So I'm always like, if they can do it, so can I. So, yeah. That's like very inspired. I really don't know how I would stay sane. If that was me, like for real. It's really hard. And <laughs> there are like multiple breakdowns along the way, but <laughs> you learn to just pick yourself up and move on. That's mad impressive. Wow. Because, you know, balancing medicine and also like being an athlete, that's something that I thought I was going through something like hard, but that's like really commendable. Thanks. But like, yeah. Especially since medicine takes like 10,000 years to complete. Uh, it was so hard. Yeah, it's really, really long. 
and <laughs> I'll probably be like what 24, 25 when I'm graduating. Some of you all have already moved on with life. It's still a respectable age, but compared to everyone else, it does feel like a long time. But I think also we need to put this in perspective for the other listeners as well, because I think everyone's aware med school takes a long time, right? But just that, like, if you don't mind sharing to us, what what does the commitment look like to your like athlete training? Like, how much do you train a week? How often do you compete? What does a day in the life of being just that look like? So um, typically I will train, uh, I'll have two training sessions every single day, like during the week. So I'll train every single day. And then Mondays are specifically rest day. So I'm not doing any training that day, but it will usually consist of me waking up probably at like five or something, getting ready to like have my first session so sometimes it will be either a run or a cycle in the morning. And sometimes that will be um, combined with my strength and conditioning. Then in the afternoon, after like I've gone to the labs and done my dissections or I've gone to the labs and done my practicals, I will just come back and then be prepared to go for my swim session in the afternoon. So it just really much depends on what I'm doing that day. Then over the weekends, I have like now my endurance stuff, like my long rides, um, my long runs. Yeah. And sometimes I'll have like break sessions or break is where you like either swim and then immediately after you'll do a run or a cycle or you'll cycle and immediately after you'll swim or run. So it just, it very much varies. And then also like my training is indeed periodized in the sense that there's a week I have an extreme amount of load and then there's another week where it will be very easy um and yeah during exams I just like take it easy like everything is reduced because obviously exams are not easy as well fair enough so just that I mean all of this really intense work-life balance and passion that you've put into it has yielded results because you did get that Olympic scholarship. Then you went to Ghana to like compete and everything. So walk us through that because how do you like compete and still stay on top of schoolwork at the same time? And will you go to the Olympics in Paris in 2024? Well, I'm hoping I will. Oh, wow. So technically in terms of training, I mean, competing and stuff, Obviously, it's something that it does take quite a number of years to perfect because like there are a lot of aspects, including like transportation. So it would have to first like you'd have to know in a year I'm going to do these certain events. So you have to plan ahead of time. And then usually I'll plan it in such a way that it doesn't collude with my exams. So like when I'm having a race, I make sure that it's nowhere near the time I'm having my exams. And obviously, there's a lot of communication towards my lecturers, my teachers, and everyone letting them know I will not be around. Then transportation itself is um, packing and all, because I also have to pack my bike. So I have to pull it apart, put it in a bag, and then travel all the way there. Then I'm there. Obviously, there's a routine that I have to go to. So go through. So like when um, I've arrived at the hotel, the first thing I do is put my bike back together again and make sure it's fine. And then I will go for a bike test just to make sure everything is okay. And if there's anything that's loose, I have to come back and fix that. 
And then obviously there's also a routine I follow during race day. So routines actually vary between athlete to athlete. So for me, it's usually like the day before there's a specific meal I'm supposed to eat, which is perhaps chicken and rice over like it's it always has to be chicken I can never eat like any other kind of meat before a race day and then during race day depending on the time again you have to do a sufficient amount of research to know what time you'll be competing and under what conditions so I would like I usually like eat breakfast if it's going to be happening the afternoon I'll eat breakfast something kind of heavy and then in between I'll have a small snack but if there is happening in the morning then I will have something very very light I like depending maybe if the race starts at six I will wake up by three or four to have a very light meal then I'll do some warm-up exercises check if all of my competition stuff are ready and yeah get suited up hopefully nothing goes wrong at this point in time but yeah so um your routine actually varies from event to event and from like athlete to athlete and also it just varies depending on what time you'll be starting but it's usually similar most of the times because they like having their events in the morning and as for olympics i'm really really hoping i qualify so I actually have to be collecting points and hopefully I will be there. We'll all be cheering you on on TV. Fingers crossed you will. I mean, it sounds like you really know what you're doing and it sounds like your coaches do have a plan for you. So really got to respect the grind. I'm feeling so useless right now. <laughs> But like, yeah, we respect you a lot, Jasad. Honestly, that sounds really? really intense. Like what you guys are doing is like so fascinating. I mean running a podcast having school and stuff and i actually really respect you guys for having like that amount of like extrovertedness okay for me i'm really an introvert and i i'm only like talkative around people that i do know so coming on here is the first step so you've got this yeah very huge you know moving on to things that are at least historically among college students considered to be very intense engineering And Levy, I have a question for you. Is engineering really as demanding as people say it is? Or do you think, you know, maybe something like CS might be equally, if not more hard? Okay. <clears throat> I don't have any like experience from computer science since I haven't done computer science. But from what I can say personally, engineering has a lot more stuff. There's more like content generally compared to computer science. Because besides doing math and like a lot of physics and also chemistry, there's also like other like courses that we have to take. Like one of the courses that I took in my first semester was becoming an engineer, which is a course that made you like put in the mindset of what an engineer is, which is like super interesting. But for some people, this was like one of the most boring courses and they end up just dropping into computer science because it was such a, it was a course that you could you only like it if you care about being an engineer. So there's a lot of like a, I wouldn't say hard, but you have to like kind of like have some sort of ambition. Most of that being a computer science, you don't need ambition. It's that you need to like really want to be an engineer because some things can be tiring, taxing, and annoying. Tiring, taxing, and annoying describes pretty much all of CS interview prep. So I'm not going to say we have the measure of you guys there, but it's definitely close. And it feels like a different skill set as well. You know, like you're out there, like, you know, grinding 
math and physics problems. And we're out here, not only just doing math and CS problems, but, you know, having to prep lead code and prefer for interviews like Jay said, having to have a GitHub on the side. But I mean, not trying to like throw shade at either major. Like I need to ask, cause I'm really surprised to hear that the becoming the engineering course is what seems to be the weed out course. It's a course that had a lot of writing and it kind of prepared people to like see what being, being an engineer is. So we did like a course, we had like a little paper where we had to find out what kind, what type of engineers uh, get paid on their first like year after being, after graduating. And then we just writing ass- essays and also like talking with other engineers, like higher up. Like we got like some people from Google and Facebook just talking to us to see like what being an engineer means. And if you, if you don't find those people interesting, you can lose interest in the whole like engineer as a course. I'm just going to say coding is something that I'm not good at. I've done like a few coding courses for, for computer engineering. And I just say, I couldn't be a computer science. I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I got my GitHub, but it's kind of weak. So yeah. Having done that course and I guess having like completed freshman year, have you had like, or at least like in your mind, did you like figure out any new motivation uh, as to what engineering means? Or have you just always known that you were destined to be an engineer? Like, was there anything new that you gained from like the first year that you hadn't previously anticipated? Yeah. So it was kind of weird because I don't know, since the age of 10, I've always wanted an engineer. Like I've always loved math. I've always loved like building small things. I even saw a picture of myself when I was younger. I built a little contraption and then I, I like presented it like during my second, my second grade. And I, and I really like, I saw the whole videos, like really like endearing. So like, I've always wanted to be an engineer. So as soon as like I finished high school and I got to college, I'm like, yo, I'm now starting to be an engineer. I was kind of lost. Like I had this goal in my mind that I've been trying to achieve my whole life. And I'm finally there. And then I'm just having time to learn like what it actually means to be this engineer that I've always wanted to be. So there's some things I've learned over the last year is that we've done a lot of group projects. And when we're doing group projects, I tend to like, I realize that I love working at my own pace. Because I do not like being micromanaged because what most what would happen most of the time would have a little project of like, I don't know, learning something in buoyancy. Then we had to build like a boat and then we had to like race it for like a introduction course. So I, I realized that when the first thing that I got, I was trying, this person was like trying to like micromanage me, tell me what to do exactly. And then I wasn't feeling it. But then in another group, I was, we're all given assignments. Then we just had to work at our own pace. And I realized that that's something I really enjoyed doing because I had a whole vision that I just had to achieve by this, by a certain time. So I've just started to learn like what I would like as an engineer. So maybe this would, which would help me in the future getting the job that I would prefer. So, yeah. Having said that, right. What would you, what would you say is the coolest thing, like the coolest gadget or the coolest thing that you've built? I was going to ask literally the same question just now. Great mind think alike. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Jason, the same, that same thing. We embody that saying, bro. That's <laughs> it's funny. The coolest machine that I've used so far is the laser cutter that I use for a design project. I was so fun because we just started goofing around because I just started like making little plaques and just putting it around everywhere. I think... Uh, with one of my friends, we made a huge uh, Barry B. Benson uh, wooden uh, laser cut like plaque and put it at the front of like our engineering engineering like innovation lab. And 
one of the cool things that I did individually was I 3D printed like an articulated hand, which I, which like I could move each and each individual finger and I kept it as a ring holder. So which is pretty cool because I, it's an idea that I had and I stuck with it, sleepless nights, a lot of failures. And I finally built it. And just like sitting in my room right now. There's also that like, uh, was it like a propeller boat or something you built? I forget the exact thing. Oh yeah. That was uh, supposed to be a balloon powered car that was for a competition that we did for all the freshman engineers, uh, which my team ended up actually winning. So yeah, it's a pretty, one of the, my only achievements my freshman year. <laughs> That's pretty commendable to think about it. Thanks. Like I saw you, you posted about that and it looks so cool. Like you're holding it up and like just that thing. I was like, wow, you could actually really build that yourself. And that's like really cool to me. But also on a related note, how is like that experience as like a college experience in California? Is it like your traditional U.S. college experience or how have you been finding it? It's a really it's a small school and the community is like super nice, super nice people. But like I wouldn't say it has a huge like party community. But of course, you can always find the people if you want to have a good time. So mm-hmm. I've had a great college experience. Uh, I haven't gone to like many parties, but I've always every single weekend. I've had something fun to do. If it's like playing, I don't know, playing Smash on like on a huge, huge like lecture theater with like eight people, or like going going to the beach at the middle of the night. So there's always something to do. So I've had a great uh, first year. I like how playing Smash in a lecture theater is now just universally synonymous with the U.S. college experience. Yeah, we need to do that as well at some point. And also Mario Kart. Don't forget Mario Kart because, you know, I'm just saying I'm kind of undefeated. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, is Debo listening? Is this, an, is this an open challenge to the listeners? Uh, yeah, for sure. We need to figure out a way to do this, you know, just host a Tondleton New Wide, you know, Mario Kart tournament and see if anyone can defeat Levy. Okay, if I lose, uh, this, was a, this was a joke. If I lose, this was all a joke. <laughs> but if you win, you're the genius, Abba. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure, yeah. You mentioned going to the beach in the middle of the night. So I have to ask you, having been to the beaches in Mombasa, could you do a little compare and contrast with the beaches in California? Because I can't imagine there being that many differences, but I've been told that Mombasa is unlike anything else. Okay, I'm going to keep it real. Like the beaches in California, it's it's not it. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Like the Mombasa beach is just like, it's so beautiful. Like the scenery, just like more beautiful first san francisco is a very windy place so like when you go to the beach you're, you're fighting to just like stay in the same spot or like you just have a bunch of sands flying into your mouth number two uh i'd say you know the sand is kind of different it's not like the sand in mombasa is like whiter and like softer somewhat like clay which is like so like relaxing like walking barefoot and also the there's more like you know life in Mombasa beaches because you know sometimes you might see a little crab or some shells on the seashore which is just this adds more to the scenery well the California beaches they just serve the purpose of like a bunch of sand next to water that's pretty much it yeah I would second that because 
I've been to like Revere Beach, also on the U.S. East Coast. And the thing about the Mombasa beaches is they're just so like raw and there's like that natural beauty. Whereas like in the U.S., they'll build like a boardwalk and a pier and a whole amusement park next to the beach. But like you don't get that like like natural, just like the cliffs and the sand and the ocean. And even like the, the sand itself, it's much finer in Mombasa. I found that like in the U.S., it's like a little like coarse sand. So definitely I would say like beaches, especially Diani Beach, is just unlike anything you'll, you'll get in the U.S., That'd be my hot take. So, you know, on that note, right, since the majority of people on this call are from Kenya, right? It I think it would be great if you all could just chip in with one reason each as to why people should consider visiting Kenya. Like, what's great about Kenya? I'd say it's definitely the fact that you could get both an amazing beach as well as like the best safari experience in the Masai Mara in the exact same trip, like usually when people go to the beach, they would just go to the beach, right? But like in Kenya, you could go to the beach and then the very next day, you could just fly from like one of the airstrips on the coast to like Masai Mara and see like the big five and that being one of the wonders of the world as well. And so I think that like having those two polar opposites in the same place is just so amazing. That would be my pick for sure. I guess for me, it's more about like our diversity. I mean, like we're so many different tribes and like almost, okay, most people are trilingual. So like you speak obviously English, Swahili and your mother tongue. And I just say, really somebody who's grown up in Mombasa I just love 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 the street food and like how the street food like encompasses like all these different cultures and how it's so diverse so it's it's just something I really love other people to come and see something I'm really proud of we love our street food yeah <laughs> Kenya has like so many like uh, this, I was gonna make a card analogy but like we have so many different things to play with. There's the coast, starting off with like the coast. And before I begin the coast, I also have to mention that our climate in general is just conducive. Like, like throughout the country, it doesn't like compared to other countries where you have summer and winter, where it's just like going all over the place. Kenya's just like chill. If you are a person who likes a bit hot and wet, and, you know, beaches and everything. We have them along our coast. We have our coastline. Uh, if you're big into wonderful scenery and everything, there's the Rift Valley. And we have, like, uh, the top... Okay, we have, like, the second highest mountain in... Okay, if you, if you want to, like, call it a stretch, people consider Kilimanjaro, like, like a bit of Kilimanjaro is in Kenya, which is... So a bit of Kilimanjaro is in Kenya. So technically, we have the top two highest mountains in our borders. Lake Victoria. The biggest lake in our borders. Um, if you are into that uh, scenery, the big five, like the place where you think, where this is like a, the, when the Europeans, like the outsiders, when they think of Africa, they think of the wildlife, like that wildlife is mostly concentrated in Kenya. 
with the Masai Mara and the Serengeti, the big five and everything. Lion King was like inspired by the sceneries in the in those reserves and national parks, which are in Kenya, by the way. Um, then if you're into metropolitan stuff, uh Nairobi is Nairobi like one of the cities in the whole of the continent. So Kenya has everything. Like, yeah, has, Kenya has a lot of that's kind of what I like about it. And we're pretty stable compared to everyone else. I think I was told this, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't, Ken, does, doesn't Kenya like not have a McDonald's? Yeah, that's true. We don't. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we have that means less people are dying of yeah, cholesterol. I mean, if McDonald's is so important to you that you pick your next travel destination over it, then there's plenty of other places that you can go. But if you're open to new ex- newer experiences, food that you don't get anywhere else, and like things that you'll actually remember, I'd say come to Kenya. And also, if you want to come now, our currency is kind of plummeting, so you'll be able to buy more for less. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we're really doing that. <laughs> what I'd add about about like why like I love Kenya is I've had the privilege of living in uh, many countries due to my parents' job. So I've spent uh, more than half of my life in Kenya. And one one of the things that I just really love about being back home is just the expression and a lot of like it like the culture is so much different like compared to other countries because I've lived in the US for a good time and I've also lived in Sweden and Switzerland. So Kenya has a lot of like, for example, like transport over here in Kenya. At the time I took a picture of myself just going to Matatu, like I just took it in my story. Okay, I don't recommend you putting your phone out like that. But like I took a story just like because I was back at home. Then my friends back in the US were like, whoa, has this music? And like, why is there so much like art around the, the, the Matatu, just like a bus? Which like made me, I didn't even realize that it was like this until like somebody pointed it out. Because like, I just feel like, wow. There's so much expression with this within this specific bus of Matatu. And each and every single Matatu in Kenya is has its own different like art style, music, and just has such expression. And even when like when you're traveling around, that I feel like another thing that I feel like is underrated is like the quality of air when you go like to places where there's a lot of like nature, like going to the Rift Valley, it's like breathing in that fresh air is so refreshing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like if you get the stuff that we get, for example, those cloths that like everyone wears. Are you talking about Kikui? Yeah. Those ones are like so different. Each one is so different and unique and colorful. I think we have so much amazing like color. It's just so vibrant. Rish, you gotta come visit. One day, if the time is right. Transport in Kenya, or at least in the smaller cities and uh, coastal towns, there's these things called tuk-tuks, which are like, if you took a motorbike and added the bare minimum, it needed to be considered a car, which like a, like a sunroof or not, not even a sunroof, like just like a cloth cover on the back, uh, two back seats, uh, a, th- a third wheel. So it's on two wheels on the back and one wheel in the front. It's driven like a motorbike, but it, has enough protection to be considered not a motorbike in that sense. It's like a really cool hybrid and they have them in Thailand and India and a lot of other places as well. But it's a really interesting case study of 
privatized public transport because they're very convenient. They're accessible in every location. And the weirdest part of all of this is there are no individual rate charges. Each each tuk-tuk knows exactly what price every other tuk-tuk is charging, and they'll charge the exact same price. So it's almost sort of like a cartel in a sense, but not the kind of, not the like the breaking bad kind of cartel. It's just like a cartel in an economic sense where everyone else knows what everyone else's prices are and they fix them. And there's no actual government intervention into that price. So it's really cool to see, like just from an economic point of view, if you have taken an econ class, that people can just organize this way without having like a big centralized meeting of every tuk owner in the country. I feel like that would be a very rowdy meeting. I mean, if it works, it works. I don't think most, I don't think most people are going to question how the tuk-tuk owners are going to, you know, fix their prices at a certain rate, but good to know regardless. Yeah. It's actually very interesting how it's like the whole supply and demand thing, right? Like if it's one price, it's just that one price. And if you go even like slightly more than that or slightly less than that, you're going to make a loss. It's that one rounded like a hundred shillings. And that's what it is. It's not a shilling more or a shilling less. I just remember, I'm just thinking like the last time Tuk Tuk's were mentioned on this podcast was when Faniki was half drunk trying to get to his prom and ended up paying his Tuk Tuk driver twice. It wasn't me alone, but it was me and a friend. Yes. Oh, you okay. Did you mention something about like the organization for? of like the prices and like everything. I'm not quite sure about tuk-tuks if they do this thing, but then like, it is pri- It is like privatized public transport, but like with the matatus, they are organized by these things called SACOs. I forgot what they stand for, but like, uh, like see, this Kenyan people, whenever you go to a matatu, you see like it's this SACO and that SACO and like, in general, it's like us, like those circles are like trade union thingies. And it's through them that's where like the prices like come up. So I find it that it's kind of fascinating how, you know, the public transit system kind of like organized themselves, like this whole pricing, like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just happy with like the way the, from everything, particularly even to the pricing systems, the, our public transport like is organized. And Maud Levy's point that I like a lot um, about the, about like the way the artistry of the Matatus is something that I've really taken for granted because like I use a Matatu every single flipping day and I cannot tell you how many times, well, not every single day, like I was in Nairobi for like the past week, but basically every single day when it goes to go, to go around town. And I cannot tell you the amount of like new songs that I've added to my playlist because I just had them in a mat. I think that's now become my new source of, of music. And it's, so fa- it's also fascinating how like the speakers are so flipping loud. Like you can even feel the vibrations. And sometimes if you're using a matatu in the night, they have some nice fancy like laser light thingies that do nice, funny, nice, cute things. I don't know. Like I really believe that it's worth like just if when you come to Kenya, just take a rider in a matatu you will actually enjoy it. Particularly in the night, it's actually, those things are actually really beautiful. So, so I have a question for you guys, right? That's an interesting question. Let's say tomorrow, like somebody came, like some country came 
and said that, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to like build a brand new like tube system with like all the bells and whistles, you know, just akin to like any other country in the world. We would build you that tube system and organize the public transit and everything, um, you know. But then that would come at the expense of like, not to took some my tattoos or like how things have been done, right? But you'll have like a nice tube system and everything. So would you guys take that? Or would you guys say, no, thank you. We don't want like a tube system. We just will keep the matatus and the tuk-tuks the way it works. Faison, I think with your history on this podcast, we already know you prefer the latter. Well, no, I mean, you see, not necessarily, I would say. I think it would really depend on, I don't know, because there kind of are times when they're annoying because they rarely follow traffic rules, if I'm being very honest. And sometimes you get like these huge jams on the roads. So a tube system would definitely be more convenient for everybody. I'm not going to argue with that. But I'm just interested in seeing everybody else's opinions. So I was saying my counterclaim is that I can tell you there are so many jams that Matatus have built me out of. Because yes, they have. They are. They don't care about traffic rules. Like they normally like drive on the pavement, but they still get me beyond the traffic jam, and that is convenient. So I don't know. Like bro, Matatus, Matatus have saved me from jams. They they always find a way. That's fair. All I'm saying is like the reckless drivers, most of them. Fair point, but I don't know why. Okay, so it makes sense. But then like... So what would you take? I'll keep the matatus because I really like, you know, Mombasa is ridiculously small. So like in terms of costs, eh, would really be that liable. Like Mombasa is tiny, really tiny. This case study that it, I don't know, I just came into my head. This case study is like, it's not a realistic thing. We all know that, like, they're never going to... But, like, if you had to pick between, like, the two systems, they're, like, completely on opposite ends of the spectrum, what would you guys rather have? It's, it's difficult because I really love a system, like a, a like an underground system, because the schedule, and which also the schedule helps you know when, like, a bus or, like, any form of transport will be there. And also shows like the the way the bus will be traveling and helps people who are not familiar with the area be able to navigate a place they don't know very well. But then the downside of that, it completely strips out all the form of expression from the tra- public transport and also the flexibility of transport. Because it, if this system is implemented, you can't just like, because what I usually do is like, I have a Matatra stop like really next, close to my house. So usually... I can just tell the guy, yo, can you just like drop me like over here? And then he just literally drops me outside the house. But if this system was to be implemented, I'd actually have to go like a few, like hundred meters away from my house, then go off that stop and then walk back. So the only reason why I'd prefer the older system, the system we already have right now is because it's like a fresh breath of air from everywhere else. And it would be cool if there's some sort of organization, but I don't know if I would prefer losing the sort of like identity and expression at the same time. I'd say like with this transport debacle, unless they can get it built and done with a, with a full public accounting of the funds 
faster than an eight-year-old on Fortnite, the intermediary cost won't be worth the sort of efficiency. And also, I think it's part of the culture here to deal with these sorts of things. It wouldn't be the best idea for a tourist to like, you know, hop in a matatu, especially at night. But equally, I think it's part of what makes this place special. And if we want to sort of conform to the standards set by Western countries um, or more quote unquote developed countries, then we lose part of our identity in the process. And a lot of the, like, I think this goes back to the idea that Kenyan schools aren't any good and you have to go abroad to make it truly or whatever. Western doesn't necessarily mean good. And we can definitely make our own systems to survive and thrive and have a booming transport sector. So I would keep the greater good would be to have a rail system, but for the uh, intermediary costs, the lack of, like Levy said, the lack of uh, personal drop-offs, and I guess the conformity to standards from countries that are not our own out of, I don't know, various reasons, pressure or whatever, I would say we stick to the current system even though like this rail like the like the tube system would be like for the greater good because it decouples public transport traffic or like i don't know whether matatus are considered uh, matatus and tuktuks are considered public sector but definitely public transport in the sense that they're non cars and non trucks so it decouples those two types of traffic but for what, the reasons i've listed i'd say just stick with what we have right now and maybe if we had an intermediary solution, I'd reconsider. Yeah, I mean, I really do agree with like what Jay said about sticking to our own culture and identity and what makes us unique. Because that's why like people have such a good time, right? It's the food that they can't get anywhere else. It's the stuff that you can't really get in the West, which what makes like our systems unique in our way. And speaking about like Kenya and just like our systems, Jisad, can you tell us a little bit about how it's like to be like a student in Kenya or student life in Kenya at a Kenyan university? How is that unique to Kenya as compared to like the West or the college experience in the West? I think it's quite an interesting and very fun experience. I think mainly because, like, again, we have the whole public transport thing and, like, the amount of times a matatu or a motorbike, like, has saved my life from not getting late to where I'm going is just phenomenal. But, like, again, there are safety hazards. Like, recently I did have to take a motorbike from school I'm telling you, we drove on pavements and like it was so unsafe, but I got there on time. Aside from that, I'd say it's quite chill because again, it's it feels refreshing to kind of like have people who also speak the same language. So in school, there's no issue switching between languages like English or Swahili. And, you know, we can kind of draw from the same humor because like obviously we're, we're living in a similar context. So like 
we obviously make jokes about politics and stuff like that and just things that are happening around us. So I guess that really like it's something I've really enjoyed because I'd say not saying that Western schools are bad or anything. Um, I'd say it's kind of like cool because if you go to a Western school, I mean, I feel like it'd be harder to relate to some of the inside jokes that you have back at home. Um, and also again, translating kind of takes away some of that humor, like just the point of it. Uh, also to do with I guess a lot of university students depend on street food, which is literally basically a culture at this point. Um, but yeah, I don't know if any of you know, I don't know if Faniki, if you know, um, but every single lunchtime I'm either at a street vendor or at Klabu just having either, it's like, we call it smocha. So it's like um, chapati and sausage. But like, it's a chapati burrito. Have- yeah, basically. <laughs> so those things have they saved have me. Awkward from, versions uh, of things. Um, it's very interesting, refreshing, and fun. So yeah. You know what this thing has made me realize is just how unique we have our own versions of like things. You like public transport. We have our own versions of that. Um, like burritos. We have our own versions of that that are like so unique to us. And we really like appreciate these things and take them for granted so much. And like as Rishwan will attest, when we got towards the end of our year in the US, that's when I was starting to remember the value of all the stuff back home. And I really got homesick and wanted to come back. So yeah, I think um, long story short, we really do have like a unique culture um, back home, which is great. You know, it's really great to hear all of you talk about Kenya, right? And one one final thing that's been on my mind for a good while, because Faniki, seeing as it's been well documented, like I think on this podcast and with my conversations with your friends about your gap year and how you've done so much with it. And seeing as I believe you spent most of it in Kenya. Tell us a little bit about what going through a gap year entails and what you've done with it. Because from what I've heard, it sounds like you've done a whole lot with it. And I think it'll be very helpful for listeners to get an insight as to what a gap year, a successful gap year should entail. Okay. Yeah, that's, well, I think with my gap year experience, first of all, the gap year was not even planned. Like the university process was a bit all over the place. So eventually... I think it was like a month after I graduated, I just soon realized, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, it was, I think I realized after at like August, I was just going to be doing a whole gap year thing. So if anyone wants to do like a gap year, the motto that I lived by was just do something, like just do something. Because one, it gets boring. And two, for me, you know, African parents, they don't want, they don't want you louching, lousing about and they'll say, oh, this and this and that so find something to do and luckily for me i don't know i think like i can attest this gap here into like certain levels like there was one thing that i did then after that thing something else came up and after that thing something else came up and so on and so forth so for me like it began i just remember it 
the gap year began by me just getting my driving license and all and then after driving license boom you have a radio gig then after the radio gig um there was a small internship that i did working for the government then after that well, the county government was just i was just basically a i was basically a glorified say i was i was a I was a secretary bro so after that push it like then midway through then like my inter, intermingled with that was like just like football and stuff just playing over the weekends and i just kept me happy and on and before you know it boom you've already spent like you've already like 10 months 11 months are gone so if you can't find any of these things just do something that you like if you're into music why not write some songs or something and like yeah just write some songs place some covers and stuff paint photography you can take photos photography account and everything there's always something to do and it's not really i don't find it particularly that hard for you to think of something to do so so in fact right now i kind of thought of something that i kind of wish that i thought of at the beginning of the gap year but like it's also kind of nice that i thought of it right now but like to keep it short i w- i have been thinking a lot about the way so kenya is our kenya we are approaching like our elections and for a good i think all of us this would be our first election the first year first election in which we are legally able to vote and i thought about the way we vote and i did some research about it and i realized that the way we vote is kind of useless it's on tribal lines for some context no, really, no, no, no. like the system in which we vote the, the way we pick oh. um like the way we pick like we uh, we, we mainly vote on a plurality basis just pick one candidate and whoever has the, the candidate with the majority wins and like it's kind of flawed and restrictive and i'm not going to go on a huge tangent explaining why but i i can call myself i am now a disciple of ranked choice voting so what i've decided to do is that i kind of it's a it's a big stretch but i was i kind of want kenya to change and adopt that form of voting where instead of picking one you rank them because i yeah so basically i i went to nairobi talked to some like some lecturers like a lecturer in the university of nairobi by the way and <laughs> it's not i might be writing an article about it but anyway it's just some just a project that i want to see how far it goes and what i'm hoping is maybe if kenya adopts that form of voting then fine anyway yeah that's just just, just that's just basically it. You also wrote a full book. Oh yeah, but that was like pre-gap year. Yeah. Any updates on his international availability, Faniki? You didn't even get me a copy. Yeah, but I want to get you a copy. I was writing constationers. I asked that you to were there. I want a book by Faniki Dechet. He's like, who? What the heck? Okay, the thing is that I think I pulled it away from constationers. I remember I did. But what, what's happening now is that I'm making a deal with like a school uh about it and I'll, since you're here i can just give it to you personally but yeah with the international thing i can't lie the whole other thing about voting has taken up my mind so not much update has been put into it so yeah but before i leave it will definitely be like when you can definitely be able to purchase like amazon or something that's a promise yeah related to like 
whole thing about staying at home. Because Josette's obviously studying in Kenya. Faniki's been doing his gap year right at home as well. You know who is another person who has been studying in Kenya? Technically, is Jay. Jay's studying in Canada, but he did his first year online. Correct, Jay? Absolutely correct. I did Zoom University. Well, Zoom for, for the first semester. And the second semester was literally just videos that I watched uh, on playback. It was like Netflix, but not fun. So, Jay, could you tell us something about how sort of the experience was? Because I think right now limbo is the best word I can think of. Because you're sort of acclimatized to like the Canadian system. And like, obviously, because you're at a Canadian college and everything, but you're still in Kenya, you're still at home. You're like, there's like the time difference and everything. So how do you sort of navigate doing like online college Canada, but from Kenya? I'd say one thing you learn very quickly is that you have to have your stuff together a little more than the average university student does, just because there's a brief window of time where your TAs and professors and friends are awake when you need help on an assignment and you are not completely physically and mentally exhausted. But oddly enough, I like it because it leaves me a lot of time to do things during the day that you wouldn't be able to do if you were in classes all day if you, or if you were working all day. So like going to doctor, uh, getting coffee with friends during the, during the actual work week and just like enjoying the comforts of a permanent summer holiday, except you actually have to do work sometimes. So I guess, yeah, limbo is the best word to describe it because it doesn't feel like I'm, it doesn't feel like I'm a full-time student, but I am technically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what was really interesting to me because you're like still, it's sort of like funny keys gap. You're like, you're still in like at home. You're still like going out grabbing coffee with friends, everything sort of like, like a permanent, like vacation. It doesn't feel like you're a full-time student, but yet you are because you spend most of your nights in class. And I'm sure that must also be very physically, mentally exhausting to like keep up and juggle. And it's actually like inverted, like you study during the night you're free during the day and it's like the opposite for like the rest of us. So that's like a very interesting life. Yeah. And I guess this is more a point about online school and online work and just anything online in general is that the separation between work and the rest of your life is a little blurred when you're doing all of it from the same desk. So anytime I'm on my computer, uh, to like watch a movie or play a game or do something that isn't work. I kind of feel guilty because I'm using the same thing in the same location as I do with work. So for anyone who's still remote, first of all, congratulations for being able to swing that in 2022. But for anyone who's still remote, uh, I'd say just try to vary 
your locations a little bit just so that that mental separation becomes easier and you don't always feel like you have to be working whenever you're at your computer or on your phone or like in the room that you usually work so maybe try working from a different room try go to try go to like a cafe and work or you know it's something or the other just to switch things up because monotony is a huge part of or like a huge consequence of a remote first lifestyle and it can get pretty boring. So just try to vary things and do things that you otherwise wouldn't have time to do or wouldn't be able to do if you were like in person and had all the mitigating circumstances of an in-person uh, education or work environment. So Jay, I have one last question for you. And that's the following. So you know how like in the past year, there's been this really big focus on like remote work and people want more flexibility to be able to work from home and go less to the office. That's obviously been a change that we've seen in the wake of COVID. So I wanted to ask, what's your opinion on, do you agree with the strength that will, seeing that you actually did do it, do you actually think that we should have a greater flexibility and have like the option to go fully online? Or if you had a chance to go back and like pick again, would you still go in person or would you like pick online? What's your opinion on that whole debate? I think regardless of what you choose for your work or studying environment, I think with studying, it's a little harder than work, but flexibility, if you can swing it, is important and like letting workers make their choices on their preference will allow them to work at their best. Theoretically, of course, I mean, a remote worker could spend the whole day like watching YouTube videos and then get it done at five in the morning the next day. So this is all like purely theoretical, but I think choice is important, especially since now we have uh, professionals entering the workforce when they haven't done anything but online, right? Like they'd be maybe their third year of university when COVID hit. Um, and, you know, maybe they had an intern previously. So they got, they did remote internships and then started off remote. So adjusting to the office environment would probably take some time if they haven't done it before. And, you know, sometimes maybe you have workers with kids or like people with other mitigating circumstances that need them uh, to be at home, right? So I think choice is important. As for my personal choice, I mean, I haven't experienced both yet. I am going in person in September. So I don't know, maybe ask me that question in about a year. But from what I've learned, like just from any everything I've learned from the last two years, I wouldn't trade it for a second. There have been there are ups and downs, but I guess that's a constant in life. So I've learned a lot about myself, time management, emotional management as well. And just a lot of, just a lot about myself and how I respond to, let's say, adverse situations. Because I've been looking forward to going abroad for uni for, since I was eight, pretty much when my brother left. And now it's here, just like Levy said, and this pandemic happens. So it teaches you a lot about mitigating your expectations, how much to expect. and. Yeah, so I wouldn't trade it at all. I know I've gone on a long tirade and this will probably get edited down, but 
yeah, that's my two cents. That was like really well put. As we expect, that was Jay. really well done. Yeah, Jay, the lambda, eloquent speaker. <laughs> you know we do. I actually relate with Jay because right now I'm actually I have an online job right now. I'm teaching. A, I'm a teaching assistant for a calculus and writing class, and also a mentor. So I can say that I've really been grateful for having an online job because it's it was perfect because I can finally get to go back home while spending most of my day doing whatever I want. But then the night shifts from like around 7 p.m. until 3 a.m like teaching so so i've really i really hated being part of a zoom class but i've gotten more used to working online and doing things online because there are benefits to it yeah speaking of this is just a question that online work made me realize because i also have like an internship at a software company right now how the hell are you supposed to make dentist appointments when they're open from 9 to 5 p.m when you're working from 9 to 5 p.m Lunch break. Yeah, but your teeth are otherwise <laughs> preoccupied with the food, no? I, I feel like at, the, at this point, this is just an open call to dentists everywhere. Like, hey, if you want to make more money, more operating hours. I mean, I realize that's also the ex- expense of their leisure time. But, you know, we live in a capitalistic society. It is what it is. Well, you could just advertise more sugary food. Anyways, speaking of, this has been a long podcast and also like really grateful for everyone for like sharing your experiences and talking about what the past few years have been for you because it's been really enlightening. And just to wrap everything up neatly, right? We've all talked about our university experiences. We've all talked a lot about Kenya. We've all talked a lot about your ambition. I just want to pull it back to something really simple. So this is a question for everyone, right? Try to name your favorite memory of the past academic year. And in Faniki's case, your gap year. Just try to name one memory that really resonated with you. I could go first because mine's a really, really simple one. I think my favorite memory was just like meeting you and just being able to start this whole thing. Because they say that life's much better when you share the memories with people, right? I think just being able to share like the memories that we had this academic year with you and like our old squad, right? Who are obviously not here today, like you, Tibo, Sean, just our group. That was my favorite memory of the whole year. And St. Louis is a close second, but we'll talk about that another day. Yeah, that's it from me. I guess I can go next. I'd say I was working very like working very long hours on an assignment that was due uh, pretty soon, and I had lost track of time because it was actually a pretty engaging assignment. And I looked at the clock. It was around, I believe, five in the morning. <laughs> if my parents are listening, they're probably concerned that I stayed up that late. I don't think they know. So, uh, uh. Hi, mom and dad. Anyway, so I checked the clock. It was five in the morning. I was just about heading to sleep. And I got an email uh, from a recruiter at my current job. And they told me I had got it. I had to, like, I nearly screamed like a little girl. <laughs> and I had to just like stifle myself and scream into my pillow. Because, you know, the past year, if it's taught me anything, it's just taught me that your career 
is the most important thing you'll get out of school. And you just need to take it really seriously and start your grind as early as possible. And this year hasn't been the easiest because, you know, as a freshman with not that much software development experience, a lot of companies don't even get back to you. And when they do, it's like, it's not even, you don't even get to the first interview stage most times. So I actually got, well, I got an interview and I had to take home assignment. I finished that, had an interview about that, and then had one last call with the CEO of the company. And I, w- I was thinking, okay, yeah, they're probably stringing me along and they have stronger candidates. But that sort of made everything that has gone into everything that I've invested, I should say, into building my career, like taking up projects like uh, the one I did with Faison and uh, other projects for clubs, all worth it. Because it, that was the thing I prioritized most this past 365 days or so, uh, to varying results, like I said. But that sort of made it all worth it because for the first time, I was seen and recognized by a company with, I guess I could say, like actual backing and actual name value in the software development world. So, yeah, it just legitimized everything I'd been through. Congrats on it. Oh yeah, congrats with everything. Cause you know, working being online, I can I can totally relate. It's a struggle. I think going to college, I was trying to, it was a new page, a new chapter. I tried to like, you know, every single opportunity that I had, I'd always take it, no matter if it was uh something that I would be hesitant to do or comfortable, because I was just trying to like have the best college experience possible. So I have so many stories to tell. Because I could talk about the day that I, we snuck in somebody from the back door of our dorm or like the times we went, the times we went to the beach and then we came back and I remember, yeah, I remember telling Nikki that or the day we went to the beach and we ended up just like staying at our friend's dorm. We also snuck in and then we had a huge karaoke party. But I think one of the best nights I've had was just like the, the simple it's a simple thing. It's the day I just sat back home because I was, I was in my dorm, in my room. It was the only day where my roommate wasn't there. He went to visit his family. And I was so tired because I just came back from, from my other job. And I, this, this is simple things just made me happy. I think I just got a, I just got a message from my grandmother saying like, Hey, are you in the U S hope you're doing well. And I hope you're happy. So after all those ex- like exciting things I did, that small message kind of like pushed me on because I was just drained from like doing work or like going through like classes or just doing so many things that I could almost feel like I was about to get burnt out and just not do anything. So just that small glimpse, that small message of somebody just having me in the back of their mind. I guess for me, it would be um, literally the start of this year. Uh, my very, I, I was involved in a bike crash so I'd gone training and stuff and um, were pack sighting. So we're like a group of people and um, somebody like they just suddenly slowed down. So the person in front of me didn't see. So then they ended up like skidding on the road and I ended up like hitting them and I went flying off my bike. Um, it was a really funny incident because when I did wake up, I just laughed it off, even though like I had to get stitches and I was off for about like two, 
three weeks because uh, um, I wasn't able to walk properly because science stuff. So it's basically my muscles had um, kind of like contracted. And so I had to take some time off. Um, it was a really big blow to my mental health considering you know, I was like at home. I was very like close to my Commonwealth trials. Um, and it was also like, it marked the start of my mental health issues this year. Cause like after that, my mental health just plummeted and it did affect my performance both in sports and in school. And I guess it was kind of like a stepping stone to kind of like make me realize that not everything goes according to plan and um, you get a few hitches in the road. Um, it did make me pull out of Commonwealth in the end because I was just not doing well mentally. Um, but I feel like it's really like right now I'm in a better place and it's just shown me that sometimes you have to sit some things out just for the sake of your sanity. So just to confirm, the best memory of the past year has been a bike crash for you because you're able to turn that experience that I'm sure a lot of people said, oh, wow, that's so crazy. I hope you're okay. You're able to turn that experience into something overwhelmingly positive for your outlook on life. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> It really just speaks to you being a ray of positivity. We love that. Thank you. I try my best. And it turned out the best. Faniki, any more crazy memories that you've made? Well, the one that comes to mind, it's probably due to recency bias being crazy. But like, uh, I just made a trip to Nairobi. I just came back the, the whole of the previous week. And my was fun because like, you know, just meeting up with friends of high school and stuff. Like, if there's ever a thing I meant, I, like, about a gap here that I don't know whether it's a positive or a negative, but, like, you kind of have a small stagnation with high school, right? Like, um, like I think it's maybe, I think maybe because, you know, with university, you just go to, like, a setting and you meet, like, so many people and, like, you know, you just, you, you in general, you interact with, you possibly interact with more people when you're in university than you're in a gap year. Just in a gap year, like, I meet people. I don't really meet people. So like in my head, like the high school friends that I had, like they transitioned better. So like I'm still close with my high school friends. So it was nice seeing them again. Uh, Levy, I also met Levy for like first time in a very long time. Uh, anime convention. It, it was just great from like start to finish. Uh, we, I remember I went ice skating with some friends anime convention where that anime convention was like that whole day is like a whole story on its own but uh thanks Levy for keeping me safe anyway um then you know i just had like some we kind of cook like a day where we just made food and like this it i just did a bunch of that just a bunch of stuff and it was just nice seeing people after a long time without seeing them and just seeing how we've both grown and all that stuff Oh, yeah, it was just cute. It always find those moments cute, like after, like how each, seeing each character live out their lives. Now we come back together, and we've all grown and changed. And but then we've we've changed, but we also kind of stayed the same in a way. Like when the bond is still there, despite being gone for a long time. Yeah. Then like another thing, um, I can't really pinpoint the moment, but like 
football has really like those those there was a point in time like between march and like june or something where like my mental health was like really being challenged and like I don't know. It's just during those points in time where, like, I play for a team like that play in the county league, um, in my Django, and that like I can't lie. Like the the thing, of course, I'm nowhere near Joseph's level. But like the good thing about playing with sports is like I'm up with that particular team. Like the players there are actually really good, and for the first time, I had to like you know work your way out, work your way through, and make it to the starting eleven, and like. I remember that point in time where, like, my mental health was pretty down. Like, I always, like, reminded myself, like, you know, at this point in time, I will be playing football and everything is going to be nice. And, like, you just find it fun. And, like, another thing about football is that this whole communal spirit, like, everyone is, like, you're part of, like, a machine and everyone is doing their bits and you're doing your bit. And in the end, when you win the game, like everyone's like, yeah. Then also, when you also get congratulated for your performance, yeah, you just I like also other things that you like that team is like the team of Majengo. So like you now gotten yourself into the community, and people like you, people that you never thought that you'd ever interact with now, like you know your homies and stuff. And I don't know. Particularly that moment, point in time where I was mentally, it did really like help me out, and yeah, that's what I could say. Really, I guess it's pretty similar to Faison's, but I guess just like meeting Faison and also just our wider friend group as a whole, because going to going to college abroad for me as well. I mean, for context, I mean most of the listeners already know this. I'm from Malaysia. Going to going to the U.S. to study was like the first time I've been like outside of Asia in like ever actually this is my first time actually living abroad for an extended period and i'm honestly just really grateful for all the friends i've made along the way because honestly they've helped keep keep me sane and just trying trying to echo what everyone else has said i guess a lot of my experience has been has been like shaped by a willingness to try a lot of new things i think it's similar to something that levy mentioned a while back like a while back in this recording so for me, my favorite memories have just basically been like all the club meetings I've been to, all the people I've met. We've done a lot of crazy things as well. I mean, not as crazy as some of the stories you guys have shared, but like oh, yeah. going on walks at like 2 a.m. in the morning, just wandering around suburbs because that's that's what Faison likes to do. And just talking about stuff, looking for food. You remember when we went on that like frat street where there are all the frat houses on the last day? Yeah, I remember we were just on the last day before moving out, walking past a bunch of frat houses, and our friend was talking about how he how he wants to become a cat person when he grows up, just not have just not have kids and just live with his cats. I mean, it's just the random moments like that that make you really value your college experience because I was really afraid of not fitting in and really afraid of like not finding my clique. But honestly, everything really just did fall into place, and I'm really glad that happened. And here's hoping that like next semester will be more of the same, I guess. Yeah. I think I'd like to just end by saying, I'm like so proud to be able to call you guys and like some other people, of course, who aren't here, but like you guys on this call, I'm like so proud to be able to call you guys like my really good friends because you guys are just amazing. And like this has really made me realize 
again, how much I value like each and every one of you. It sounds cheesy, but yeah, it is true. It definitely goes both ways. I just want to say thank you for having me here. My first time. I hope it's not the last time, but like it's a really cool, uh, it's my first podcast. So I had a really good time. Petition to get Levy on the next Tech Talk. We will definitely try to make that happen. Petition signed. Petition to get him on the next Veep Talk. Petition to just get Levy on, I don't know, as many episodes as we can. Signed. <laughs> Levy can join the extended multiverse. Ah, uh, yes. The Tondal to New Extended Universe is ever growing. But I must say, Levy and Jasad, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. And honestly, like, I know you've both mentioned this is your first podcast for both of you. And honestly, you've been more than amazing guests. Like, I'm sure the listeners would have loved the insight you've provided. Thank you for having us both. Thanks. Yeah. And as always, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Tondal to New Podcast. If you like this kind of content, do give us a follow on Spotify. We'll have new episodes weekly and we'll hope to see you in the next one. Goodbye.